everything is theory. You don't know at this point. You're too innocent and naive to know if what you're doing is a massive waste of time or not. You sure as hell hope not, but it might be. And that naivety, that lack of knowing, that opportunity... Yeah, the opportunity that what you're doing might be the start of something special. It is really just like, it's, it's a really intoxicating feeling. Hello, welcome to Secret Leaders. It's me, Will Stolomon, the head of podcasts here at Kindling Media. I'm the host for today's episode because this week, Dan is in the hot seat again. This is the next installment in our series where we get intimate with Dan. If you haven't heard the three that come before this, you'll find a link in the show notes. They're worth a listen. As many of you know, Dan is a founder himself. His day job is running his VC-backed company, Heights. In our last episode, where I talked to Dan about his experience with mental health, I promised that this time we turn to Heights properly to show what it is really like being a founder. So for this episode, we are going back to the beginning of Heights. Well, Actually, before the beginning, because whilst Heights is now a brain care supplement company, it didn't start out as one. Dan teased us with some details in a previous episode, but today we're really going to get stuck in. How do you decide on the specific product you're going to launch? How do you build a community that will end up buying your product when you don't have anything to sell them? How do you test demand? Well, These are really important questions, and I'll be getting Dan to answer them. After the failure of their previous company in 2018, Dan and his co-founder Joel decided they wanted to focus on building a consumer goods company in the mental health field. How they did that, how they came to that point, is really interesting, and you can hear all about that in our second episode, where we discuss coming up with the right business area to focus on. So they knew where they were pointing roughly, And they were in the rare situation where they had money left over from their previous business, essentially their seed money. But how do you get from here to a product that people love? We gave ourselves sort of a a year timeline and and tried to work back from, you know, what can we achieve in that time? And I would actually say to a lot of entrepreneurs, giving yourself a year, ours took us about 14 months, if I remember from clarity. So just over a year. You know, there's a lot of stuff in startup land about rushing through everything like absolute light speed. That's very hard in a physical product. Like it is it is kind of possible with tech to build iterations and do that kind of stuff. But with physical products where something's being made and needs to be tested, like created and tested and bottled and branded and all of these things, there's a lot depending on essentially other people. Uh, you know, it's very unlikely that you will be in, in most product businesses, you probably are not the person going to be doing all of the actual industrial work. It puts a lot of pressure on you to come up with the right ideas. And actually, one of the problems that I've seen in the past from a lot of founders, arguably the most likely way that you're going to waste time is by rushing through the idea of what you want to get tested and get it made and realize, you know, three, four weeks into that process, it was the wrong thing to spend the money on and get tested. You've now got something you're on the hook for that's coming out to you in a few weeks or months, however long it takes, and it's the wrong thing. So for us, we actually understood that the more and more and more we could delay the process of the actual product being created by doing more research, the better it was for us. Um 
And it's quite an unusual insight, but, you know, it sort of all started off at like, what are we going to make? So there's two things that can make the biggest impact in your mental health, in clarity, in sleep, in energy, etc. And really, one is nutrition and one is hydration. And we actually initially thought that hydration would be the more logical, easy, low-hanging fruit opportunity to experiment with. So after reading a bunch of books, you know, we went about and like learned how we might build an incredible hydration product. We came up with a name for the company in the meantime, because actually, again, one of the things worth saying is very hard for you to make moves in anything until you have a name and a website and have some idea of throwing stuff at the wall. So we came up with the name Dawn um, simply to like because it felt like a new dawn. So we know that we we know that we want to create a a brand. We know that we have to create products, but in the meantime, there is a big question that all founders, I'm sure, can relate to, which is, in between this period, what are you doing? the The crux of that was I started a newsletter, um, and where we get the content from and still do is uh, basically public science journals. So things like PubMed, um, which stands not to be confused with ClubMed. Um, can, uh, stands for uh, Public Medicine Journal. Um, so we suddenly had a treasure trove of information that we could share, um, credible sources we could link to. And with my, um, you know, interest in writing, I decided I was going to spend one day a week reading science papers and rewriting that stuff in plain English um, and sending a newsletter every Sunday. So the idea was, um, a three-minute read every Sunday lands in your inbox. And we started this in November. So it was a couple of months after we'd gone through this whole process of shutting down, going back, explaining to VCs what we wanted to do. And the first next step, and good timing on this, the first next step was um, was writing this newsletter. And we're coming up to our, I think by the time this is out, we'll just have published our 200th newsletter. So that's coming up to four years of never missing a Sunday. That's epic. And I've always wanted to know the answer to this question. I'm sure lots of people would love to hear it as well. How did you build it? Because it actually, it grew pretty well, didn't it? Um, not not first, but uh, <laughs> yes, lots of testing. So I'll answer that question and then I'll sort of explain why I've meandered onto the newsletter when I was actually speaking about product development process, Um, because I'm aware that it sounds like I'm meandering, but actually the two things went hand in hand for a certain reason. So how we grew it, um, lots of testing. I mean, it is really worth saying that in our first six months, we had less than, I think, less than 2000 people reading it. So, but it was quite elite. So we had really good people. We had, um, you know, lots of entrepreneurs and creators and the types of people that you would immediately assume want to read about how to take care of their brain. We ended up doing like quite a lot of social, like Insta lead gen things, competitions, all sorts. None of that really worked or whenever it worked, it brought in pretty crappy leads but the two or three things that have worked for us after a zillion tests of things that didn't work, eventually um, we set up some lead gen campaigns. So lead generation campaigns on social, they were all about getting your brain health score or getting a nutrition like score or figuring out, um, 
you know, how productive are you at the moment? And so we would work with Tara, who's our chief science officer, who's lots of experience in this stuff, and design quizzes and tests and things like that that people would take that are fun. Um, it would give them a score at the end, and then they would leave their email address. And actually from that process was if you'd like to learn more, um, you know, you will get our Sunday supplement. It's now very personalized. It took a long time to and lots of iterations to get this right. But one thing we still do in the quiz, which is great, I think, is if, for example, you know, we obviously have a nutritional product. If you've scored well, and well being over 60 out of 100, if you've scored well in nutrition, we don't even give you a flow that sells our product. We just ignore that entirely because we're of the belief you don't actually need help. You're already nailing it. You're doing a good job. Oh, I, w- I actually, I will dig out the data like and, and do a post on LinkedIn about this. But, you know, it was a year before we got to 10,000. Uh, for sure. But then between that year and the next, you know, and 18 months, I think we grew it to about 35,000. I think we had 35,000 people on our database before we launched our product, which is pretty good. You know, that's 35,000 people reading your content Mm. about the brain, which is niche. And that's before you launch a product, which is an extremely healthy place to be. Which I guess as well, might be quite a nice segue into why that was something you did in parallel with developing the product. Yeah, so a most important reason I did it is because I was starting to, obviously I'd had my mental health crisis and I had been cured by learning something I'd never heard of before, which is that nutrition can help my mental health. Um, I was flabbergasted, but also on now on a personal enormous journey of growth of how can I read more and more things about health and wellness on a regular basis um, as part of my cadence, I was struck by that insight of having an opportunity to learn that it was like about my personal growth. And there's a saying in neuroscience, which is if you learn something, you learn it once. But if you share it, you learn it twice because you cement new neural pathways in your brain. And you're now like, you know, that's why teachers are so good. When you teach something, you're really cementing knowledge. So from a business perspective, did you start it because you wanted to build a community and have a potential customer base of, as it ended up, 35,000 by the time you launched the product. Is that the big commercial insight? Yes, good point. You know, we talk about, um, you know, all the psychological reasons for doing these things, but ultimately there was a commercial outcome that I wanted. Our outcome was when we launched, we don't want to do it to uh, empty noise. We want to do it to people that are already engaged and interested in what we do. And then the other side is understanding that every single day, the actions that you choose to take today are the ones that determine who you are in the future. So I knew that by writing the newsletter, I knew that I was going to be in a better place, better prepared, better understanding, all of these different things as well. So um, those two acts were really important for me. Um, The rest was, you know, let's see where serendipity takes us in the meantime. I knew that at heights for credibility, we would have to have some scientific basis behind what we were doing. And I knew that we'd have to have credible scientific people. Now, my moments of serendipity um, came from the newsletter. I asked a whole bunch of people, you know, have you ever, um, have you ever created a nutritional product before? Who do I speak to? How does it work? You know, what are the day rates? All that kind of stuff. And I got a whole bunch of nutritionists um, sent to me. And then one friend sent a dietitian. 
And I was particularly interested in the dietitian anyway, because I just had the experience of being sick and having a dietitian specifically help me. Also, dietitians are medically trained, as I think I discussed in the last episode. Nutritionists, you know, there's a, such a variety. You can do a nutritionist course and become a, credi- a, a certified nutritionist after a weekend. I did speak to everyone, but in the end, got on really well with the dietitian. Her name was Sophie. She's still our, she's now a head of nutritional research. So we now had someone that we could speak to about, you know, what kind of things, what is the process? What would we do? Like, what are the micrograms and, and milligrams and things that we need? And what does go with what? What doesn't go with what? These are all the things that we just could not answer. We didn't know ourselves. That was one person in the bag that was super helpful. The other was a bit harder, which is, you know, we really wanted, you know, we thought from a story point of view, you know, from a story point of view, but also a credibility point of view, if we can get a neuroscientist working as well, that gives a credibility on the brain. Now, truth be told, actually probably don't need a neuroscientist to do this product because a dietitian is so well informed about the body and the brain is part of the body. But our view was always we're building a brain care company. So if we're building a brain care company, it's about more than just a nutritional product. It's about a perspective on the whole realm of the brain. So one thing that I was doing during my newsletters was I was finding articles and science uh, science papers that were essentially written by credible doctors, neuroscientists, etc. And then I was putting them into the newsletters and then I was tweeting them. In my time, I'd come across a book by a neuroscientist called Dr. Tara Swart. It's called The Source. I absolutely loved it. I read it. I thought it was phenomenal. Um, and then I found her her PhD, basically. And I made sure I started putting that stuff into my newsletters. I found her on Twitter. I tagged her a lot. We ended up going for coffee. So that was what I meant by like creating serendipity. You know, I was finding these people. I was tweeting them. I was uh, I was nagging them enough to arrange to go for a coffee. And then you go for a coffee and you get on and it's another coffee, another coffee. And so this is the process we took with Tara. And, you know, she ended up becoming our chief science officer, which is a big deal because she has a PhD in neuropharmacology. Got her and Sophie together with Joel. And sort of the four of us were just thrashing out different ideas of what we could do. So this is where I sort of meandered onto the newsletter because I used the newsletter to start tagging credible people to help us build up our case. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months, and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. 
If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. Now, back in November, when the first newsletter was sent and we started looking at products, Joel and I were gravitating towards a hydration product, like I said. So we were um, going down to random labs. At this point, we'd met Sophie. Um, I was like, literally get on a train, get off in the middle of nowhere and go to this random lab. And this guy that greets us, um, we're saying, hey, this is this is the outcome we want. We want the product to kind of give you more energy, to hydrate you for X many hours, all these electrolytes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it can't have sugar. And he's like, no problem, no problem. We use this thing called Stevia. It's a plant-based alternative. It's all good. Anyway, we spent the whole day trying these products. So many of these different uh, kind of concoctions with Safi leading them and always ended up with the same problem, which is they tasted gross. You just couldn't imagine a customer genuinely trying this for enough time. So we ended up binning that idea. And it was a really good early, it was really good early evidence. You know, by this point, we probably spent a couple of thousand pounds, so nothing major, but it's a couple of thousand pounds wasted. And by now it's January and we still don't have an idea or a product or something we want to land on. And this is when speaking with Sophie and Tara was super helpful because they were just really explaining the different types of capsules and products in the market, why people um, don't get what they need and what's already out there, where we could do better. And in the meantime, and again, this stuff's up on my LinkedIn, Joel and I had actually interviewed 200, 100 each, lawyers, accountants, um, lawyers, accountants, bankers, traders, and doctors. And the reason we chose those people was because we're like, these are the people that have to use their brain the most intensely for the most rigorous amount, oh, and journalists, and the most rigorous amount of focus. Um, And generally, they have to be right as well, because they charge so much for their services. So there's a lot of pressure on them. So we asked all these questions. um, We had this data, we now had Sophie and Tara, and there was kind of this like overlapping sense of, okay, there's actually something here. Maybe we should be looking at capsules instead. Dan and Joel saw that supplements were a key area for this group of high performers, but they still needed to decide what kind of supplement to focus on. We did a lot of research into the supplement market in general. We got Mintel reports on market sizing and understanding how big a product can go and where the gaps are. And I think our overarching, we had this sort of experience when we went to LA as well. Our overarching understanding of what was going on was the 1% of the 1% were really well informed about the right nutrients for your brain and how you can get the edge by drinking the right thing and by eating the right thing and having the right supplements. So it felt like, that actually felt like a really crowded market. It felt like a market where the more specialized and the more niche you go with all these sort of things and creating separate products there the harder a time you were going to have because it was going to be really competitive, A, 
And B, people are going to be like even more skeptical at how good your thing is versus those things. And you'd have to create a few different lines. So we um, we were just getting together talking about, you know, what we should make. Should it be one of those? Um, we decided that actually the more interesting opportunity is after the 1%, all the people who are aware that, you know, there are nutrition and health and wellness trends, so call it the top 10% of society or the next 9%. That would be a much better target demographic because um, the number one best-selling supplement in the world, uh, I'm trying to remember this now, the number one top-selling supplement in the world, I think, was vitamin D, then it's omega-3, then it's a multivitamin, um, then it's magnesium. You know, you could see, and the numbers were really big, smallish in the UK, enormous in the USA. So you could see all this stuff and they were cross-referencing it. We're like, a lot of these things are really good for your brain, but everyone is buying them in completely separate things. They're not packaged up well. Um, there seems to be an opportunity here, essentially, you know, this is the idea that we sort of landed on at first, to reinvent the multivitamin with a brain twist. That was kind of like our initial idea. Like everyone, like multivitamin is an enormous category, but they're usually crap. They're usually cheap. They use bad ingredients and they actually ignore a lot of what's good for the brain. So why don't we do a brain-focused multivitamin? Interestingly, we 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 set about on a strategy of creating a brain-first multivitamin all the way, and that was the positioning of it, all the way up until about a week before we launched, where we changed the name to the smart supplement, which I can come on to. But you know, thinking about it in that in that term was really helpful. One of the reasons why it didn't help to call it a multivitamin and it wasn't technically is because we had omega-3s as well. So there was a nuance to it, but that's sort of how we were thinking about it. Let's create something that adds simplicity to a customer's journey because one of the things that we had learned in our whole process of what these 200 interviews, these high performers, was their lives were all about building habits, like positive, productive habits that were about having the best life and the best brain and the best work output and all this stuff. However, they never really got into a good cadence with their supplements because A, they had to be eaten with food, and B, so they always forgot, and B, they always hid them in their drawer. So they kind of forgot where they were. This provided us with two really great insights, actually, that also started us off on a process behind the scenes. One was packaging. So the reason our bottle looks so different is because we took those insights that people kept saying they keep their supplements out of sight and out of mind. That's why they forget about them. And we turned that into a user experience opportunity. And then the second one was, and this is one of the reasons why we focused on the omega-3 oil on the outside and the vitamins on the inside, people kept on saying that they had to take their vitamins with food, otherwise it wasn't going to absorb. And with our smart supplement being the oil on the outside, the nutrients on the inside, that's not the case. You can take it any any time of the day because nutrients absorb in fat and omega-3 oil is fat. And so by taking that with water, without food, you get the full absorption. So there were two key problems, and you're always looking to solve problems. There were two key problems that we heard all the time in the trends of our 200 interviews, and we solved those two with packaging and then the pill design itself. Of course, having an idea of what you want your product to be is vital. But deciding exactly what you are going to put into it, which ingredients you are going to test, can be really challenging. I was surprised that the simplest answer to those questions for Dan was physics. With a capsule, there's only so much you can fit in. Um, in the supplement industry, this is actually where values come in. 
So if you remember in a previous episode, I'd said the first thing that we did when we worked out what we were going to do as, as co-founders is we worked out our company values. It wasn't we knew what idea we were going to do or anything. We worked out like at the time our three company values that we were holding up as the most important things. They, and just for clarity, they were at the time, care without compromise, uh, keep a sense of humor and humility. And our joking one was, have you asked Google? Oh yeah, take the initiative. <laughs> um, and the reason for this is because we were like, you know, you just need to be a doer in a startup and we can't have mm. people who just don't go and do their own research and ask for things because founders don't know what they're doing either any more than anyone mm. else does. So you've got to be resourceful. So with those three company values, um, we use them for product development. And that's really important because it actually gave us a framework of how we would make a product and what we would do and wouldn't do. And it all made things a lot quicker. So the care without compromise value became super important when we were working on what could or couldn't go into a product and actually has ever since interestingly affected our margin, but arguably made a much better product and therefore kept customers. So there are compromises. You know, we were quite inspired by, as everyone is, Steve Jobs' philosophy of, you know, the hardest thing is figuring out what not to put in. So what to take away, what to edit and how to keep things simple. Now for us, we looked at... Um, one really overarching problem with the supplement market in general is there's an enormous gap between the marketing amount that you can say and make a claim against and the scientific dosage that you can put into a product that has the impact the customer expects. So for some reason, the whole supplement market is like that. There are these loopholes and the gap between the marketing amount and the scientific dosage that makes an impact is actually not close. It's usually very far away, which is why most supplements are cheap. Most supplements are not cheap because, you know, Heights is expensive, for example. Heights is actually extremely good value, as I'll come on to from like where our margin gets hit. Um, it's that you're paying for 10 times less and the same claim can be made by Heights and anyone else that sells the cheapest. That's the problem in this space. And there's no consumer awareness of this. And why would there be? So we got to a point where we're like, this is a this is a challenge. What should we do as a company? So we then had to select what what ingredients or nutrients we would put in a capsule and which ones we wouldn't. Now, obviously a capsule can only be a certain size. So you start to wonder what we should put in and what we should not, and use the expertise of Tara and Sophie, but everyone has the same limitation, which is physics. Um, we got to a point where we were obsessed with, because it's a really great nutrient, obsessed with, all of us are obsessed with magnesium. The problem is to put an efficacious dose of magnesium in would take up most of our product. Now, loads of our competitors and loads of products will have magnesium in their products as well, because then they get to make all the marketing claims that magnesium can give you. And because people are actively looking for magnesium because it's a top quality nutrient that has exceptional benefits, we basically said, we're not going to do that. In fact, we're going to be the type of company we care without compromise. We're never going to mislead our customers. We literally will not put in magnesium and ignore all the benefits that that could bring because we can't put in the right amount, according to science. And that's as simple as that. And that process and that opportunity to start working that way really early on with Sophie and Tara really laid down what principles mean, because it means that we won't do the easy thing and we won't do what is the more commercial thing. We'll do the right thing. And every single time we choose what to do and how to do stuff, we'll always choose the right thing. 
But the big challenge then came with the fact that we wanted so much stuff it didn't fit inside a single capsule. And that is when we made the most expensive decision so far for our company in terms of longevity of our business, which is we decided to create two capsules so that we could put even more in and make it like the best product in the market. Um, However, that really affected our margin because obviously it's double cost on everything and consumers don't think about it like that. However, it was the kind of decision that most other companies would never take. Mm. Fascinating, mate. And I'm sure the production process was a nightmare and and testing that all out and we might get to it at some point. But what I'd love to know is how did you test demand along the way here? Because were there eight, were there ways to do it? It's very different, of course, with like a physical product, but you know, with the previous one, the hydration stuff, you sent out samples to your mates. Was there anything that you could do to make you know if you're on the path to success or not? Because I think that's something that really keeps um, entrepreneurs up at night. Honestly, it's a great question. And the honest truth is, no, this whole thing felt like a massive risk. Um, It just Mm. did. Um, You know, the reason being, we were inventing a brand new product, you know, ended up being called the Smart Supplement. There was no category to compare a Smart Supplement. We already knew, we knew the market sizes for people buying these individual things off individual need states, vitamin D, omega-3s, etc., we knew how people thought about multivitamins, but trying to communicate a smart supplement for the brain, which was something completely new, was honestly just an enormous risk. And we didn't know really how to test demand for this. And um, we also, you know, I'd love to come and talk to you about like, you know, all the smart things we did during the year. But, you know, the development process was super long and slow, um, you know, to find the right person, you know, and also so much nuance that goes into it but every single time we were like you know we don't want we we categorically do not want bulking agents and synthetic fillers in our product they would send it to us with them in it and the reason that they would keep on doing that is because they thought we were joking because no one else asked for that because that's a way you keep product costs down and so we had all of these things in our development process you know all of the stuff just compounded to finding making it really hard to find the right suppliers and then also you have to bear in mind that they all have deals with their cheap suppliers in china and stuff and we're like no you have to use the blueberry extract has to come from this place and this and we were sourced that so there's all these things and they ended up taking ages and the only thing we had going for us was this sense of belief which dr tara swart was the person who kept on giving us the confidence she's like you know just from a scientifically biological rational point of view if you put all the highest quality fuel into your body and you source it all together like this then in practice it should create the best product so it really was a case of hoping for the best like through this iterative process and making sure that you were just not compromising anywhere and i think that's the unique thing about our product development process versus anyone else's is that it was complicated and it was a lot of hope so we had we had a budget um it would be a lot more now i'd imagine but you know we had a budget at the time for 50k to work with a brand agency to help us develop brand identity and sort of get the the starting point of the website ready um now the website looks completely different and all this kind of stuff but you know we had to have some kind of brand identity to to get ready and I was really into the name Dawn by this point. I, I figured, you know, I you know, I had a t-shirt made and everything. 
So I was pretty all in. But then um, we learned quite quickly that Dawn was actually a household name in America for essentially fairy liquid. So it immediately became pretty stupid. And so uh, we engaged an agency and it was them who came up with the name Heights. We ended up getting the first version of our product that was right in about September 2019. Um, from that point, we were like, okay, we think we're going to launch in January. So we need to work back from a launch. What does a launch look like? And we were sort of prepared for, from October, we want to get 100 people in our, from our newsletter group, we want to get 100 people in an early testing community. And they're going to be the first 100 people to test our product. And they'll get the product for free for three months. And at the end of three months, so October, November, December, um, and at the end of three months on the trial, they'll get an automated email, which will basically say, do you want to continue? Here's the, you know, like, here's the code, here's how you pay. And so we like now knew what we were working up towards, right? Like we're, we're there's very clear timeline from October, 100 people are going to do this. So we put that in our newsletter, first 100 people that offered were suddenly the people we were sending the product to. I didn't quite have our packaging like properly ready yet. So they were kind of getting it in some janky thing, but that's okay. Um, and, you know, the three months went by and actually, you know, what we were really buoyed by was um, in mid-December when we were asking people, okay, before your next, your, your trial's out now. So before your next one comes, here's your automated email. We had 86 people that paid for their first month. So 86 out of 100 gave us a huge amount of confidence for how that was going to go. Um, felt really, really buoyed by this. By this point, we've got our website ready. We've got our assets ready. We've got sort of social media ready. Like we're doing now we've just started launching our Instagram. So we're like in October, you know, we've got some beautiful imagery so we can start sort of teasing the product that's coming in January and all this kind of stuff. And it feels exciting, right? Like moving up towards a moment. Now, one of the people on the trial early was a guy called Damien Bradfield, who's also been on this podcast, uh, I think series two, episode one, because he's the founder of WeTransfer. Um, I met him the day that I did the interview on Secret Leaders, but we just became really good friends. Um, and I'd asked him to be an investor in the company and he'd said yes. So very... Um, very soon after him signing up and becoming one of the hundred, he's like, do you know what? I think Stephen Fry would really like this product and I know him. Um, do you want me to try and get it to him and see what he thinks? And he was like, yeah. I was like, that'd be amazing. He's obviously on like the top of our list. So yes, please. And long story short, gave us like, found out from Stephen that he'd be up for it, gave us his address. We couriered the product to him, three months supply. Long story short, we're getting ready for launch on January the 6th, 2020. It's January the 5th, and we get this email from Stephen Fry uh, directly. And we're like, wow, this is amazing. And the crux of the email was, Daniel, I hope you don't mind. I got your email from Damien because um, I've been, I'm trying to paraphrase here, but it's something along the lines of, I've been loving your little green magic beans so much <laughs> that they that they have uh they, they've you know they've transformed me over the last three months my mood's been better um i've had less episodes of my bipolar if any um and i've just been utterly impressed and i would really appreciate it 
um, if I could uh, if I could buy some. However, I've just gone on your website to try and buy them, and now I'm wondering if they've worked at all because I'm I seem to be less intelligent. I'm not sure where the buy button is, and I don't know how to do this. So <laughs> he like ends it with please help, and it was just really funny because you could just read it all in his voice. You know, you just like such a Stephen Fry thing. Made his nice little compliments, and then made a bit of a joke that maybe you've made him stupid after all. Anyway, so I'm sitting there and think, okay, there's an opportunity. Um, I'm going to say yes and give him the code. So you have a code that you enter onto the website if you want to buy early, and he can buy it one day earlier than we're actually launching to the public if he gives us a testimonial that we can use on the website. Um, That total luck. Because if he'd have emailed us the day after, he'd have just been able to go on the website and buy them anyway, and the rest would be history. We wouldn't have a testimonial from Stephen Fry or his advocacy. Because it was a day before, just by total luck, um, we were able to use not just that testimonial, but, you know, his image rights when we were speaking about stuff. He was so generous, and he's still a customer today, so he's actually one of our longer-standing customers. And it has been, like, a interesting, like, you know, moment in the company's history because building credibility in this space is extremely hard. And when you're a new startup, it's always hard to build credibility. And being able to launch on day one, you know, we were testing some Facebook ads and everyone was saying, where are your studies? Get fucked. Like all this kind of stuff, right? <laughs> and as soon as you had some credibility on there, like from Stephen Fry, things changed. People were genuinely pretty open to being like, oh, wow. Like if such an intelligent, skeptical person is open to trying it, maybe I'm open to trying it. So that was one really helpful thing that happened. Although it got to January the 6th. And maybe expecting a massive deluge of orders and stuff. Nothing happens. It was really worrying. Um, the next Sunday, I was like, okay, we'll try again. You know, we've got some, it's only Joel and I still. So we've got some paid ads going and stuff, but nothing's really converting because it's the first time you're doing any of it. And you don't really know what you're doing necessarily. And so the second Sunday comes around. And I try again. And I do a different, different kind of content on the newsletter. And then the ad space at the bottom is, you know, more about more about the product, but something that I think is a little bit more punchy, not sure. Again, little trickle, maybe a couple of thousand pounds, getting really stressed. I'm like, this is very bad news. Um, third Sunday, so now we're coming into right towards the end of January. I decide, fuck it, I'm going all in on this newsletter. We need to make some sales because like getting very stressed that this has been like an extremely expensive mistake. And I write the whole email about what the supplement does, why it's good for you, really good imagery, really like clear, convincing, credible, proper sales email, not words and science and this paper and that paper, just actually selling our product properly, doing a really decent job of what I think customers need to and want to know about our product. And it absolutely worked. And it was so interesting. Like we did 20,000 plus sales off that email. Um, really suddenly the newsletter audience, maybe there's a bit of like, you know, they've just been engaged over two or three weeks of nudging towards a product. But I don't think it was that. I actually think because they've been nudged over multiple weeks and, you know, been learning about our product and been involved in the process anyway. I think it really showed me the power of a really clear, dedicated sales email that doesn't fluff around and tell someone what they want to hear and actually taught me a little bit about the fact that actually sometimes people want to be sold to. People want to be convinced and they want to be told with confidence why something is great and why they should do it. And it felt icky. My word, did it work. And we ended up on the first month of uh, being in the market, 
with £33,000 of sales, which is a really good first month for any startup. That is epic. And ladies and gentlemen, you've just heard about how you can develop a product and get your first customers. I was I was hoping it would be crickets on, on week three, Dan. Then, we, then that would have been <laughs> a one, wonderful next episode. But no, I would love to hear actually next time on, obviously that's an amazing milestone to get to, but now you've got to build the machine. You've got VC investors, et cetera, a lot of pressure. You've got to build the team, get the team motoring, et cetera. In many ways, it's the most, um, I think, the funnest part of building a startup is basically the point that you've had up to up to this point that, that we've just reached. Oh, definitely, definitely. It, I guess it's different if you're a sole founder or a co-founder, but as a co-founder... I don't think I can under communicate how exhilarating it is to work with your best friend, which I was coming up with something. Still are, still are. It, totally, but everybody I was going to say, but everything is theory. And the other mm. thing is, like most entrepreneurs love doing. So you know, there's so much to do, and there's so many different things to do. You got to learn email marketing, you got to learn website, you got to learn, you got to learn everything. Um, you know, the longer your company goes on, the more you have to delegate and give up the things that you used to love. Um, that is, you know, it comes with its own lessons and it's exciting in its own way. But ultimately, uh, you know, there's nothing quite like that first year of startup before you're in the market and you're spot on. Like, I still think of that year as my fondest year yet. Don't tell his wife, Melissa. No, seriously. As a founder, you have to grow and change as your company does. And as I said, that's what we'll be focusing on next in a couple of months time when I'll ask Dan about growing heights into the company it is today. Next week on Secret Leaders. Millions of people around the world can have completely new and fulfilling experiences at the touch of a button that enrich their lives, that give them more fulfillment, that give them more opportunity, that give them a chance to try new things, to be new things, to meet people they never would have met otherwise, to create value they never would, maybe to have jobs that they couldn't otherwise have had, right? I, I think this, this metaverse stuff might end up being much more important than we think. That's Herman Narula, the CEO and founder of British Unicorn Improbable. They're a fascinating company because they're a unicorn that no one knows much about. They've stayed stealthy while making metaverses. Join us next week for our last episode of this series to find out how. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. This episode was produced by Ruth Edwards, along with me, Will Stolleman, head of podcasts at Kindling Media. Thanks to Dan for letting us put him in the hot seat once again. See you next time.